0: Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice. So, welcome to the teacher story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to the teacher story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Carolyn along with us. And I'm so excited to have Carolyn with us today because she has she's co-founder of a program called Social Optics, all focusing on social emotional well-being for teens. And that is something that is so important right now, especially coming out of the pandemic. It's something I've highlighted on this show. I'm very passionate about it. I'm actually currently working on a curriculum for an advisory program that kind of centers around that. So I feel like we're very aligned in our work and mission in school. Carolyn has also been a speech pathologist in schools. And that's also something near and dear to my heart because I have lots of friends in that field too. So thank you for being on the show today.
1: Thank you, Jackie. This is this is awesome. I'm looking forward to chatting.
0: <clears throat> so my first question for you is what inspired you to even get into education? Was it something from early on or later, you know, in a different career path later on in your life?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, honestly, I mean, initially it was just working with kids and just loving kids and especially, which is ironic that now I spent all of my time working with teens and young adults, but like early elementary and elementary age kids. Um, And that was, I think that was my, my big drive, but what's interesting is along the way, like I've spent 15 years in public education, but I've done stints in private practice and in healthcare. And I always come back to public education because everyone has access to it. And so even in, you know, in private practice and you have insurance and you, and all of those things that can be barriers for everyone getting access to what you do. And there was never any barrier in school. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I, that's where I always ended up back and I love it. And it's also what moved me to, to step out and try to do this next gig that I'm working on.
0: <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, I am a product of public education. I'm currently in a private school, but I agree with you 100%. Um, it, we know it's not equitable, right, across the board in our country, um, but it really is, it's available, right, to all students. And I think the work that you're, you're doing that I can continue to do is to, to foster that conversation of how we should support public education because it mm-hmm. should be equitable um, for every child to have that because that is really their their way to have a future and be the leaders in our country. So I 100% agree. Um, can you tell us a little bit more before we get into social optics about your work in spe- speech pathology? Because that's such a very specific field and a lot of people don't know much about it, but it's definitely something I think that is is very much needed in schools in that specialization. So if you want to share a little bit about that
1: yeah it's um it's not what everyone thinks so we definitely work on way more than just helping kids say their k's and g's and r's and l sounds um you know we help with um just language vocabulary semantics understanding the meaning and and deciphering how do you put those things together um and then how do you organize and sequence and, and share your information with others so that they can receive it and and you know understand it um, we work on social pragmatics. So that's what you know falls into this is in the end of the day, all of your language skills, what you understand and use, how does that fit in with how you're interacting with others, mm-hmm. um, executive function skills. So, um, memory, um, organization, attention. Um, we actually, we, we really do a lot. And then, then that doesn't even start to get into feeding and swallowing. Um, and it's, it's, it's really the neatest profession. Like I, feel very lucky that in my career, when I, um, my very first job was in a children's hospital. And so I got to work with infants who were two to three months premature in the NICU, doing some initial oral stim for for preparing them for feeding later on and taking a bottle all the way to, I've done some fabulous home health work with adults that are over a hundred years old in rural Montana. And it's it's pretty cool to have a job where you can work with the entire range and see Mm. what the entire lifespan looks like for people. It's been fun.
0: That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I didn't realize, (laughs) Hey, I didn't realize that fell under like one position. Like I thought maybe you would have one specialization on an age group, but to work with infants to, you know, elders and in all different facets of like speech. Um, And I think the point you made kind of leading into what you're going to talk about with social optics is that language is part of how we have social interactions, right? So you're also talking about how we're developing ways that we have relationships with people through our language development. And uh, in my psychology class, I often talk about language development And how Mm -hmm. it is part Mm -hmm. of the way we think and process the world around us and interact with people. So it's much more than, like you said, just sounding letters out or being able to put a sentence together. Um, With the pandemic, you know, behind us, but, you know, still really relevant in this time, was this a time period that opened the door for this creation of social optics uh do you want to tell us a little bit more about the birth of that and then yeah, get sure. into the work yeah
1: yeah um you know i think the pandemic just helped steer it into a um into a a web based program more quickly um but it really started back in 2015 when another teacher and i um, we were asked if we could create a class to help a group of students who were neurodivergent and had autism, but were in um, mostly the gen ed setting or all gen ed classes, but we're still struggling with all of those interaction pieces. And we were like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll take this on. We, we know these kids, we love these kids. They're always coming to us at lunch to chat about stuff. So, um, but there wasn't a full, Sequential year long curriculum to follow. So we just kind of picked up what was available and pieces out there. And a big difference between elementary, like as you know, and then middle school and high school is you're, as a person, you're starting to have a shift in taking ownership for what you do and questioning and really thinking back about what felt good and what didn't feel good, even mm-hmm. if you're not totally verbalizing it that way. And so what we found right away is a lot of the stuff that was out there was just very. Skill based, like we'll teach you this, but it didn't really help the students understand themselves and they didn't really like it because it just continued to make them feel less than and mm-hmm. they're not less than. Um, like so, so is so that's how it kind of got started was in 2015. So the first semester, um, we we joked a little bit that the class started out as um helping the teachers be able to understand the students and it really ended up second semester helping the students be able to understand where their teachers were coming from and what the students wanted and then that's how we designed it and and then then there was years of research and and diving into things and then also just you know taking data along the way to see what actually moved the needle for the kids but um but then when when the pandemic hit and covid hit and then all of a sudden everything's online, I know for everyone in education, that was a big whopping slap in the face, you know, and you, I think you really found where the holes were and what kids were maybe just barely kind of clinging to being in school. And it was taking all of their effort to get there. And then when they didn't have to be, um, you really, you learned a lot about what, what kids needed in order to be successful with those interactions and, and zoom. It was interesting to me, the number of kids who in class didn't participate would but, but would participate on zoom. And then the number mm. of kids who were amazing in-class participators who you couldn't get them on a zoom to save your life during that mm. time. And so that, that also showed me too, the amount of, um, I'm realizing how many different la- languages are actually involved for our teens these days based on how many different social platforms they're on mm. and all of the different kind of social understandings required to interact with those different so true. platforms yeah. it's like it's like you're a multi-language learner like with all of those right now and so it just it brought wow. all those things to a head and then through the pandemic and working through it that second year. And we had a hybrid model and it was always a little bit wonky who was in, who was out, who was quarantined, who wasn't, Mm -hmm. and being able to figure out how do you still make an impact and teach this even when you can't always be in person. And so then that's how social optics turned into the web app that it is now. So,
0: wow. So in a way, the pandemic kind of forcing everything to go online not only adapting, but it makes it more accessible to a lot more schools and people, right
1: That was a big eye opener you know i that was a massive eye opener. I said <laughs> because when you're in your classroom right you're like you're you're focused on the the group of kids right in front of you, and when all of a sudden you realize like, okay, this can help so many more kids and I'd had mm. individuals around Montana asking me you know, how could they implement it in pieces? And that was where, you know, before the pandemic, it's like, okay, how do I make this into maybe a book or a workbook kind of thing? And then when the pandemic and I'm like, oh, no, we can do this like this. And this will open it up for so many more students. And more importantly, it allows us to really actually start collecting a data set
0: on students
1: who it's traditionally very difficult to get this kind of information in order to better inform what we're doing for them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, um, so I was like, okay, we're going to do it. And here we are. (laughs) So
0: I love the point you made. It was just like a aha moment, like light bulb went off when you were saying about how today with social media and so many different platforms, and then like, you know, moving into this hybrid online teaching learning world that you're learning new languages. Like, so like language isn't just like learning English, Spanish, French, what have you. But it's like the language of how we're communicating in so many different platforms. Like the word code switch came to mind because you're constantly code switching. Before back in the day, our code switching was, well, I talked to my teachers this way, talked to my friends this way. I talked to my parents this way three modes, right? All in person. Yeah. Now it's like, I talk this way on TikTok. I talk this way on Instagram. I talk this way on LinkedIn. I talk this way on Zoom. Or, yeah. And your brain is really multitasking at a very rapid pace, which I think is amazing that our brain can do that and mm-hmm. adapt, right, so quickly. But I think that's when we are in overdrive And then the essentials of being a human, like again, the work you're doing with social emotional learning fall to the wayside because we're doing so much of this language and figuring out different worlds that we forget to take care of our inner world or like we don't know how to do that. We don't know like who we are and what is our passion? What's our drive? How do we you know, operate with like real relationships with people and not just online. So made me just think of how essential this program really is right now, because we are just moving so quickly and adapting to so many different ways of communicating. So do you want to get a a little bit more into the meat of the program and like maybe where it's at now or how you see it growing or any kind of like feedback you've received from teachers and students?
1: Yeah, sure, and then yeah, then I definitely want to keep talking more about all of the different platforms that kids use and how, because you you said something there, Jackie, that kind of struck me too, like how our brains are working so hard to understand that set of rules that are constantly shifting and still have the interpersonal connection, and I think um, what has motivated me to help to help students who are on the fringes and, and struggle with this is. For some people, that's not natural to figure out how to decode all of those other platforms and languages. And so it's like, it's like always being in a room where everyone else is laughing and you don't get the joke. Like, Mm. and so that, so then that actually kind of segues into what social optics is, is how do you give kids the tools who, who may not naturally just kind of intuitively do that to be able to say okay, this is what's happening. This is how I pick it apart. These are the things I pay attention to naturally and, oh, and I missed paying attention to these things. So let me put this information in and then let me see what happens. And they realized, so so that's where the lenses came from. So along the journey of creating the class and when we realized that just teaching kids skills was not the way to go and it didn't empower anyone in the room to do it that way. Um, I, <laughs> um, I had a friend here, um, uh Shauna Heiser, she's a fabulous um behaviorist. And we were talking in the hallway one day, like 10 seconds in passing. And she's like, you know, you ought to look into critical thinking. And now, like, I love her. And I also am like, oh, my gosh, little did you know, like, that was almost two years of reading research and trying to figure out how do you, where does that fit in with what we know about social development and language development and just adolescent development? And then that was where the lenses came from. And so what I realized between my speech language background and then, you know, these pieces is that there's kind of 12 lenses that we all use in, in any given moment in a variety of levels of intensity when we're in a social situation. And so when, when we took those and made those the foundation for the class and taught them and then started overlaying all of this other information on top, now the kids had a set of tools to use. Now they realize which tools they used a lot, which ones they never use. So some kids are actually, um, and I find this interesting because I would hear from teachers a lot of times with my students, like oh, they never pay attention. And it's like, actually they know more details in what's going on in that class than you do. Like mm. they catch a ton of stuff. It's just that they don't, um, they don't know how to use it. Mm. to make a decision about what to do next, about what group to join or what to say or when to raise their hand or not, you know? Um, and so it's, it's learning that like, actually what you kind of are knocking them on is actually their superpower. It's mm. these other things you can help them with. And so then the question doesn't become, you're not paying attention. Why are you raising your hand right now? It turns into, um, like, tell me what you're seeing. What are you hearing? Okay. How can you use that? Mm-hmm. To know when you should raise it and it takes all of the the judgment off. and so anyways, so that's when we started doing that we saw kids start to generalize, which is like the Holy grail of everything we do in education, you know, to other settings without having to specifically teach it and then it it kind of just you know ex- exploded from there. but to go back to then social media because we talk about social media in class, like we have a whole, you know, bunches of lessons on it and a couple of the modules in the online, but it comes from a place of like, how do you use these tools to try to figure out what's happening in the social media venue? So one thing that I love is a lot of my students sometimes are very black and white thinkers. Mm -hmm. So they love texting. They're like, oh, this is great. They said this, they mean this. And I'm like, oh, I loathe texting sometimes. (laughs) You know, the difference between a period and an exclamation mark And it could just be a typo on your part, but how it gets interpreted on the other end and all of the meaning, you know? And so sometimes they, they're just loving the black and white straightforwardness of the text, but then they're wondering why, you know, a a friend or someone who they thought was a friend doesn't get back to them or why their mom is mad. And it's like, well, there's so many more layers to the texting. And so how do we dive into that and let them, you know, evaluate it. And then on their own terms, decide how much do they care? <laughs> like, Yeah. If you would just want to use exclamation points your whole life or use all caps, like, which is a big one on text, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but if you make that decision, but you at least know I'm making the decision to use all caps because I love them, but I understand they're going to be interpreted this way. You're, and, and then, you know, the kind of damage control you might need to do like, then that's your decision and it's totally fine. And I think about that. And that's one thing I talk about with my students a lot too, is like, it's not like us adults get it right all the time. You know, it's just that sometimes we always have a choice of what we're going to say or do, right, Jackie. And sometimes we all still choose to say or do the thing that we know is going to put us in the fire, but we also have the skill set, these tools to know how, like, okay, I'm gonna say it and it's not gonna mm. be great, but I know how to back my way out of it. I know how to repair the relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. It needs to be said anyways. So I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what sometimes these students don't have is they they have a strong emotion. There's something they need to say. Now they're in the fire pit and they don't know how to how to repair the mm-hmm. relationships. They don't know how to back out and navigate it. And so that's what we saw with the lenses that the kids were um were you know were really starting to have a tool that they could use um and and internalized to where mm-hmm. didn't even really realize you know they were using them it just started mm-hmm. popping up in conversations. Um so sorry I do talk a lot but the-
0: No, I love it. I feel like this is the way we should be doing education in general. I mean, I know it's hard when you have big schools with big classes. I went to a very large high school, but Mm -hmm. it's more about personalizing what suits each individual child instead of like a cookie cutter program. Like you said, here's a bunch of skills you have to learn. This is what you need to do to be a human in society, because that's what we say is normal and just do it. Bada bing, bada boom. Here's your certificate, move on, you know, and a person could be like, I did all those things, but I have not changed internally at all. Like I still have no, you know, intuitive, you know, vision of what I should be doing in these relationships or whatever, but now they're able to internalize, catch themselves and figure out like, what are the best tools for me? Cause that's different from the next person sitting next to me. Yeah. And that is a lot of like metacognition. Like I'm loving this. Cause I do this on a very like broad scale in my classroom like just with journaling but like the meta piece is so important because you're catching your own self and you're realizing like what how do I communicate or how do I interpret something and then how can I go back and like explain like if I said something in a certain way and you're you're doing that and you're not like um just you know I don't know on this like piece of your id of like you just say something and spew it out and then like you don't catch yourself and you just keep going because there's a lot of adults that do that and they don't even realize it like they are causing a lot of harm in their relationships and they don't even know because no one ever taught them and this is something that needs to be taught like humans aren't all born a lot of humans are not born with this intuition to just yeah. pick up on this stuff and to pick up on cues and the world and relationships are becoming more complicated so it's actually even harder i was thinking when you were talking about you know children on the spectrum um and i don't know enough of the research where are they seeing more cases of children on the spectrum because they are i'll put my thumb up there something <laughs> um <laughs> because there there's just more diagnoses and there's more ability to diagnose or is it also environmental that's like causing maybe more individuals to be on the spectrum because i also feel because a lot of it's sensory right and i wonder if like we're having a world or society where it's like so overstimulated and our brains can't handle it and that there's maybe more people where their brains are not adapting to the way that our world's changing. I don't know. I'm just, I was thinking about that too. Like, I think we're seeing this more so, right?
1: Yeah. I am the. I mean, I think the most recent numbers, one in 36 is okay. the new di- diagnosis rate. Um, It just changed a, f- a few months ago based on some new data, but there's, um, and then we have to talk about trauma in a mm. second because what you, oh my gosh, there's, There's so much packed into communication and all of these pieces. And so stepping back a second to how you teach your class, like it's so needed that what we're doing is not for one specific set of students. And so that's where I also loved using or love using the lenses and love getting them into the classroom for all students is it gives students on the fringes who are neurodivergent a set of tools. It also gives kids who who intuitively do these things a way to break down and see how they're doing it so that they can have a greater appreciation for their peers who don't just naturally kick it in. They can start to see where a peer is breaking apart and be a little bit more empathetic, maybe even give them kind of the space to get through the icky part so that they can communicate what they need. Mm-hmm. And um And I think when it comes to the diagnosing of autism, there's a lot more education and knowledge now around Mm it. Um, And there is a sensory piece. And I think that's one of the the big things, like when you look in the diagnostic manual, the Mm -hmm. DSM-5, you know, there's a key component of it is a sensory or stereotypical behavior um, at some point in a kiddo's life. And I think... That is something that gets, we see more people being diagnosed with autism now in their teens and twenties and later life. And I think when you're doing a really good history with them, when you go back at some point in their childhood, or if you have access to their parents and can get that information, there was a piece of that when they were younger. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really important piece. And I think sometimes it gets buried through masking
0: through mm-hmm. that. Like it's not
1: okay to whatever X, Y, Z, it's not okay to... Um, to rock. It's not okay to flap. So it gets covered up pretty early on. And then, and then thus begins like the, the mental health spiral Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. I'm broken. These things aren't right with me. I need to learn what everybody else is doing. Wait, I just did what everybody else is doing and it didn't work for me. There must Mm -hmm. be something even more wrong with me. And I think that's what a lot of skill based um, interventions can kind of do is when you're, not everything works in every situation and doesn't mean you're going to get it right in every situation, but if you at least have the tools and you give it a go and it doesn't work the way you want, you at least have the tools to kind of deconstruct it, figure out what you could do different next time if you want to. And that, um, so I think that's, you know, we're definitely seeing a rise in the diagnosis because there's just a lot more, there's a lot more education around it and knowledge, um, and adults questioning, you know, mm-hmm. their experiences But then I also think trauma fits into here too, because when you were talking about, it's so true, like people who are just kind of working from their id, like just get in a room and they're just kind of bulldozing through a little bit and not always um, as aware of what others are needing in that space. I think sometimes too, when it comes to trauma, it speaks Mm -hmm. to not feeling safe, letting down walls or even simply being able to sit quietly to take in what others are doing. So when we started this class in 2015, we had eight kids in it. And two years later, we had over 35 kids in it, and it was split into two sections. And what was interesting is we started with six students um, with autism. We only had eight students with autism when we were up to 35 students. We had a lot of kids with ADHD, um, kids with trauma backgrounds who were struggling with all of the same things. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: when you have experienced significant trauma in your life, um, it is very hard to be present and in the moment, Mm -hmm. it's not a safe, comfy feeling. And that is something that, um, I think as educators, especially since COVID, but even before a lot of um, social emotional stuff was kind of being put on our backs. And mm-hmm. I, I know for a lot of my friends and for me, as soon I just felt like I'm not a therapist, like this isn't my training. I don't feel comfortable getting into these discussions. Like I always wish I had like a panic, the school psychologist button under my <laughs> desk. So we you know I could just hit it and she could run down and take over a conversation for me. And so, um, that was another piece where from a trauma place too, it's, that's not always a place like they want to coming to school. It needs to be structured and organized and predictable so they can Mm -hmm. feel safe, maybe learn something. And it's hard when you're then interjecting these moments of now, let's sit quietly and, you know, think about our Mm -hmm. inner self. And it's like, that's the last thing these kids want to be thinking about, you know? And so, we ended up with a lot of students referred to our class who were not comfortable in the dialectical behavioral therapy class where that's exactly what you were focusing on is how you feel. And they're like, I don't want to feel anything. And so I often joked that like, we don't do feelings in my class. Mm -hmm. We do, but not in the same way. First, we just learn what we're looking for and, and our details. What are we seeing history? What do we already know? Um, patterns, just all of the things that kids take in. And then they could start to feel a little bit calmer. And then they were a little more comfortable, maybe talking about feelings. A lot of the kids would do our class and then go back into that DBT class the the next year, um, Mm -hmm. because they now had the language and the ability to, to parse things together. Mm -hmm. So um, there's, yeah, so much going on for our kids right now that we
0: never had to deal with. I like that approach of I'm an emotion person. So I know oh, great. If you, put, if you put me in a class where they're like, let's talk about our emotions, I'd be like, yeah, let's do this all day. Um, but I know many people like and close friends of mine, family members that would scare them to death. But I like this yes. approach of it's almost in a scientific way, collect mm-hmm. all the evidence. Like, yeah. you know, we use some of this language like collect all the evidence in your life, you know, like where have I come from or what have I gone through and like kind of try to remove yourself from it. And just like, almost like you're like watching it and like, where's that coming from? And then what is my environment right now? And what are the like pieces in there? And like, kind of just being able, like you said, dissect it and look for patterns. And then that way it feels more manageable than saying, well, let's talk about the emotional piece that's tied to this trauma that happened in my childhood, or I'm being bullied now in school or whatnot, and instead kind of look at it as evidence of your life, and then seeing how you have certain reactions to this because of this, you know, and I think that is a more manageable approach. So that's a really unique way of looking at social emotional learning. I think often we just think it is like talking about our emotions, but you can definitely do it in more of this like Kind of scientific way of looking at. Yeah, them.
1: I think yeah. it makes it, it safer. I think that's something kids responded to too. They felt they they no longer felt like they were being dissected. They felt like they were the scientists in this world, and they could figure it out. And I think it applies to teachers too. Like a lot of us have mm-hmm. trauma too, and it does show up in how we interact, you know, with others and. Um, you know and when you're aware of it you you definitely try to manage if you know what a trigger is and things like that but i think also on any given day our capacity for being able to hold space for individuals changes so mm-hmm. for some of my students that had teachers that um you know they had a lot going on in their lives it was very hard sometimes for the kids to work with those teachers because they, it was hard to develop a relationship with them. They, mm-hmm. but when they had the tool then to put it into, Oh, that's just this teacher in this class and this day, in this moment, it's not my whole life. It's, it has nothing to do with me. And mm-hmm. I don't need to know what's going on in their life, but I can tell something must be because this mm-hmm. is so, um, so I have a, like, a, I just realized Like. I have a good story sort of related to that. So I, I worked with a young lady who, um, I, her, let's see the end of her freshman year, she ended up leaving the school and, um, because she was really struggling with feeling like she was being bullied, um, was not yet diagnosed as on the spectrum. And so the parents made the decision to pull her out. And I think it was April, and then the next year they just homeschooled her, but she had a private or a private service plan. So I worked with her once a week. And we worked on the lenses so that she could break things apart and put what was happening in school and a social level into perspective that would allow her to get through the rest of her academic day. Mm-hmm. So when it started, we were um we get like weird snowstorms out of nowhere sometimes. And she I was, we were going to lunch in this large, um, uh, grocery store where they have like a cafeteria area. It's really nice. And so we could people watch and kind of use some of these tools. And so she was in the car and we were like this white out blizzard, like in 10 seconds, like just like Mm -hmm. surrounded us. And we couldn't figure out, like, I was trying to see where the turn lane was and get us into turn. And so it's pulling into the turn lane and she reached across and through my steering wheel to flip my blinker on. And I turned and I ended up turning into the oncoming lane because it was oh like in a parking lot and they had one of those, you know, mm-hmm. and things with some like grass you couldn't see because it's under like two mm-hmm. feet of snow. And so I see this truck coming towards us. So I, I like luckily turn, you know, made it into the parking lot. Everything was fine, but I park and of course I'm shaken up and everything. And she says, why are you mad at me? And then just got very upset. Why are you angry at me? I was just trying to help you. I was just trying to turn your blink around. Blah, blah blah blah, all the things. And I'm like, I am not mad at you. And she's like, Oh no, you're mad at me. So, anyways, long story. We, I went through all the details and that, that there could be other emotions like fear, panic, <laughs> terror, some other things I was feeling. Not you know, not mad, but at, we talked through. Anyways, fast forward a year. So she um, comes back into the school her junior year, um, has these tools full day does grapes, like making it. And then she took the ACT that spring and I was um, her designated person to read the ACT to her. <clears throat> so we were going to go to lunch as like a reward when we got through a section of it. So we're in lunch and um I had a close friend who had worked with in the district who was on hospice. And another teacher friend had... let me know that morning that she wasn't doing very well and she would call me if something changed. So at lunch, I'm sitting with this young lady and I get the phone call and I pick up the phone and I know right away, sorry, (laughs) what the news is going to be. And we're in a restaurant, my face changed, everything changed. And I started to answer the phone and she looks at me and she says, I can tell by the way you look that this is not going to be a good phone call. Would you like me to stay here or would you like me to, you know, move away and give you some space to have this phone call?
0: Mm. Wow. Wow.
1: A totally different reaction. And, but that's, you know, and I think that's a thing too. Often, you know, I've spent my whole life in special education and we often think, you know, We are so working on a strengths-based model and viewing kids differently, but every kid can use these lenses. We just all use them differently, but that's the important point to know. Like we're all the same, like the peer tutors sitting next to some of my students in the life skills classroom, guess what? Y'all are doing this the same. It's just, you might use all 12 very quickly, peer tutor, and the other student might really rely heavily on these two. But if you know they're relying on those two, you can see them from a different perspective. You can see that as the strength, and you can help them navigate some of those other pieces that will make them successful. And you know, for the student who who is really heavily relying on those two lenses, just knowing there's actually 12 and that peer tutor next to me might be using all 12 of these helps me also pull them into, whoa, hold up. Can we just focus on? the details of what's exactly happening right now? Or can we focus on the history from this last week and this interaction last week? It just gives everybody the same set of tools. And that's, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, more what equity Mm -hmm. is, right?
0: Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and I could see that moment being so powerful for both of you, like for her to have known how to be in that moment, but really like so supportive and that choice of like, I can do this or I can do this. And it's really, it's about you. And I'm recognizing that like so many adults don't know how to do that at all. And I mean, (laughs) that's that's like, this is curriculum for schools but it it could literally be curriculum for just anybody who needs to do some work on their interpersonal skills. Right? just to give a little bit more context, you don't have to go through all 12. Could mm-hmm. you like just name maybe some of the lenses or maybe the ones you've seen that are really used more readily by some of your students, just so that there's a little bit more of that detail?
1: Yeah. So we, um, I would say details. So it's information we take in with our five senses and that is it. So it's not a feeling. It's just all that information um, that with our five senses, um, history. Mm-hmm. Um, what we know maybe about a person or an event or our experiences um, with something previously multiple perspectives. So just acknowledging there's you can use details in history to come up with different ways to look at things and then missing information. Like those are of the 12, those are like the top four I think that students relate to the most. Um, but then we also, I mean, we talk about ethics and morals. Um, as a, as a lens, because, you know, based on your cultural values, where, Mm -hmm. where you grew up, your experience, you know, just so much, those can look, you know, different. And also, you know, it's really interesting with ethics, you know, and morals. I think they were more black and white, even just 20 years ago than they are now with technology and all of the connection that we have you know, immediately with someone from a different culture, like all of those things are shifting and, and blending. And so it's not so much, is it right or wrong? It's just, how do you have the discussion about that? Or how do you take that ethics and morals and put it into multiple perspectives that the choice that person made is based in their cultural value, not good or bad, just understand it. Then you can fit it into the patterns lens of then how can I predict how this person might act in the future? so that I'm not constantly surprised <laughs> when they make this one decision, you know, like, you're like, oh, I can see they do that all the time, you know? Um, and so, so those are, those are a few of them. Um, and they all just kind of overlap and, and interweave once kids get, you yeah. know, understand them.
0: And that's the a major issue that we have in our society right now is I think not owning to understand different moral and ethics of people that's why everyone is always constantly fighting with each other because everyone comes from a place of ego that you must do it this way or like this is the right way and you know we see it amongst the political parties they use it as mm-hmm. just like a game really like they don't have any higher intelligence at all emotional EQ is like super low when it comes to the political parties but um I just feel like There is, there isn't this black and white world and there isn't black and white, you know, for certain things, yes, what's right or wrong, right? To murder someone is wrong. But there's so many different layers of our morals and ethics that can be tied to religion, culture, what you've gone through, your history. I like this idea of using history too, you know, that you need to kind of take time to know someone and ask questions and know where they're coming from before you can make a judgment or before you even can assess like how you're going to respond because you don't know anything about this person. And these are all very practical, you know, you can use this in your whole life moving forward. Again, not just in a curriculum in a school, but like throughout your adulthood and all your relationships. So I appreciate you sharing that with me and sharing that story with me about your student um, it was pretty powerful. So thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your work or new developments or where it's going in the future, your contact information, how our listeners can find you if they want to get in contact with you?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'll, yeah, I'll share a little. So one thing that's really important to me is research. And so we started, um, like right out of the gate when we were able to launch the software last September, collecting data, um, and uh, doctor Schaffer Klassen, at University of Montana and I are working together on a study um, related to social pragmatics and um, computer-based um, training. But I was able to dig a little bit into the research this past weekend or the data that we've collected so far. And, and one thing that I think is already really interesting is that like the students, there's a, a survey, some questions at the end, and they are asked that, you know, prior to going through this module, do you think you used the details lens, you know, 20% of the time, 40%, 60%, 80%. And then after going through this module and working on it, how much do you think you use it now? And every single student who went through the program this year so far, um, it the gains in how much more aware and how much they perceive themselves using it, anywhere from 20 to 80%. Wow. And that is that's exciting that you know we're just starting to really collect the data, start to go through it. Next year we'll have more. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy to talk to anybody who's who's interested in this approach. Um, so my website is uh mysocialoptics.com and Carolyn C A R O L Y N at mysocialoptics.com. Anybody can email me. Contact information is on that website. Um, but I mean I, w- I would love to, <laughs> I mean, oral domination is everyone's goal, right? Just kidding. But like, I would really love to see this be in every classroom and, and even in gen ed settings, because just as much as my, it's them my students, but as the students I work with who struggle need to have these tools. I also feel like everyone needs these tools so that they can hold a little more space for those that struggle and give them more opportunities Um So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it would be valuable to have uh, some kind of program built into the school day where it's not just like your academic subjects, but you have a class that does focus on this and that you can work at your own pace. Yeah. So it's not just like, this is what happens in first grade, second grade, third grade, and so forth, but also like at your own pace that you could be at different parts of your progress. Doesn't matter what your grade is, you know, and just kind of like, where you? And really it's progress at the end of the day. It's not like I mastered this lens, you know what I mean? Like no one really, this whole mastery conversation kind of drives me crazy too. Like I'm totally about like, we can get rid of grades, but it's like, do we ever master anything? Am I like a master? Like this like Jedi, you know, that kind of thing. Like, no, you're just constantly, you know hopefully progressing, right? And just adding more to your tool belt. And you will slide back sometimes and that's okay. And then the goal is maybe to like catch up a little quicker, right. Or to catch yourself a little quicker and progress. Um, But I would love to see something like this in all schools as well, because I don't, I don't, I still don't see an emphasis on this type of program. It's still very much about the academic subjects, you know, the credits that you need to graduate Well, where are the credits for this type of work? Right. Like right. where are the necessity and colleges should look at that? Cause I, I feel like everything, you know, not everyone's college bound, but it's still really what drives the whole curriculum in high school yeah, and in just secondary school in general. So if colleges put more emphasis on this is something we want to see on your transcript as well. Like if there's something that you need to see on a transcript or a credit, like we want to see this social emotional piece, um, whatever that looks like in a, a class that you take throughout your schooling. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe that's just part of the conversation too. Like we need to, yeah. to prioritize it.
1: Well, EQ is everything. And when you look at once you get out of high school, into college, but especially into a career, communication skills are always in the top four of what employers value. Yeah. Always. And and your skill in that particular thing, like you can be taught, you can be upskilled, but, th- but this piece is, is something that, yeah. yeah So, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, for the most part, a degree, your experience, it matters, but if you can't communicate and interact with people in the right way, it doesn't matter what you're going to be trained on or taught, you know, you have to be able to actually like work with people because that's the whole the whole way the world works for social animals. <laughs> like you have to work with people, even if you're virtual, you're still working with people in some degree yeah. online or whatnot.
1: Yeah. And even with AI, like, yeah. you know, that, that can pick up so many, like so many pieces for us now, which is really awesome. It gives us more time, but at the end of the day, like, is it, it it's still going to be your social skills that get you the the job because a lot of skills can can be replaced, which then just means we'll learn new ones or we'll adapt. But a lot of them are going to be in that, you know, in that social realm. So
0: mm-hmm. thank you so much. And yeah, I will thank you, Jackie. Put all of your uh information in the show notes. This was such a wonderful conversation. I really love what you're doing with social optics. And I hope to see it in more schools. And I think now that it's a web-based app is definitely going to be more accessible. So that's wonderful. So thank you for sharing all about it. All right. Awesome. Hopefully I'll be back out to Montana soon. We went two years ago and I loved it. It's such a beautiful state.
1: (laughs) Yes, you need to come back. So look me up.
0: (laughs) I will. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thanks, Jackie. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to The teacher Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.